I am in a series, I'm concluding a series called Stop Complaining, and it was really born out of something that God had been doing in my heart and in my wife's heart over the past, I'm going to say, year or so, uh, which was to turn us into people who became more aware of what was right and less aware of what was wrong. In fact, how many of you uh, in here would say, if it weren't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here this morning? Now, I'm just so grateful for what God has done for me. I, I live a life that is so beyond what I deserve in the natural. I don't deserve the family that I have. I don't deserve this amazing, this amazing church family. I am so blessed uh, in my life. And, and more so than ever as a person, I can say that this year, I feel more grateful than I think I have felt in my entire life. And I, I just refuse to be the kind of person who just sucks up all the blessings, but only focuses on all of the negative stuff. I don't want um, to be that. And so we've been talking about our tendency to complain and instead uh, replacing that complaining tendency with gratitude. Uh, Years ago, when I was in Bible college, uh, me and a few of the other students went on a school-sponsored mission trip to Russia. And so there was a teacher, and he kind of led us on this mission trip. And so we went to Moscow, and we went to St. Petersburg, and a few other places. And we would go, and we'd help in orphanages, and we would do these tent meetings. And it was really cool. But, you know, there was not just like when it came time to sleep, there's not just like a Hojo or a Motel 6 down the way. And so what we had to do is we all split up and we went to different people's houses that would be willing to host us, people who came to the tent meetings. Uh, and so and that was really entertaining because I knew probably five Russian words. They knew probably five English words. So it was some stimulating conversation on the way home. Uh, one thing they did tell us, though, is when you're going to go to these houses, these people are exceptionally poor. And so if they cook dinner for you, they have sacrificed for that. And so you better eat it. Uh, about the worst meal I've had in my entire life uh, was what I now understand. This is an actual dish, fish head stew. So this sweet old lady had me at her house, tiny, probably four feet tall, opened this giant can, and in the can is just nothing but fish heads bobbing in water. And so she drains it, she pours it out, she mixes some sort of broth in there, puts it on a pot, cooks it, and there you go, fish head stew. And what was really uh, bothersome about fish head stew is that the eyeballs would become dislodged from the eye sockets. And so they would just be bobbing in the broth. <laughs> no better feeling in the world than, um, than uh, biting down on a fish eye and feeling it pop. Yeah. But we made it work. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, one of the guys that came with us on our uh, trip, his name was Ethan. He's another uh, fellow student. He was there with us. And on the day that we were planning on leaving the mission trip, heading back to the States, uh, we were on the, uh, the subway in St. Petersburg, and he just casually leans over to me and says this, hey, David, I think I lost my passport. And I'm thinking, you think? You think? It's probably worth checking, right? Jeez. And he said, no, I definitely lost my passport. So I said, oh, what are you going to do? 
And he, he says this, I don't know, just see what happens. I'm like, I can, I can tell you what's going to happen. We don't need to hypothesize, come up with weird play scenarios in our head. I can tell you what's going to happen. You are going to stay in Russia. You're going to be Russian now. I hope you like fish head stew. So I said, well, you've got to tell, you've got to tell the, the, our teacher was Linus. You've got to tell Linus. So he goes and tells Linus, so funny thing. Uh, lost my passport. Linus was not entertained, needless to say. So he has to make these emergency calls. Um, we, we have to push our, we get, we reschedule our flights from today to tomorrow. And so instead of going to the airport, we have to go to this U.S. embassy place to get an emergency passport. So we're all sitting there. We wait for like three hours while they uh, usher him uh, or issue him, Ethan, a new passport. So finally, we have to find lodging for the night. The next day comes, we make our way to the airport, and then finally, we're, we're, we're waiting around for our flight uh, to arrive. And so we're just waiting there, you know, playing cards, whatever, we're just bored. Well, Ethan, he reaches into his backpack and pulls out some corn nuts um, and went, or something, I don't know, corn nuts. And he, as he pulls out the corn nuts, something else falls out of the backpack. Well, how y'all know it's not like a coupon for Taco Bell? Don't act like you know my story. <laughs> it was his original passport. And so I, he look, I see it. He looks at me. I look at him. And I'm like, you throw that thing in the trash. This never <laughs> happened. But sometimes I think about that and I think about Ethan, like what Ethan needed, he did not need a new passport. What he needed was to find and locate his original passport, right? And I I think about some of you in this room, if you would allow me to be so bold, that I think in the season that you're in, with all its good and all its bad, I think what you need to pray is that God would make you more aware of the blessings that he has already given you already given you. And so we've been talking about this tendency to complain, and I was thinking, because we're going a different direction this morning, I was thinking how I might want to summarize the stop complaining portion of the series. And uh, I write things down. Uh, Sometimes they're usually bad. Sometimes they're decent. Uh, But I was writing in my journal that earlier on before we had started the series, and I wasn't planning on sharing it, but I reread it this past week and it kind of made me laugh. And so I wanted to share with you from my journal what I wrote about complaining. And when I read it to my wife yesterday, she said, yes, David, it's really good, blah, 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 but you need to make sure that the people understand that you're talking to yourself, not talking to them, because otherwise people will think you're mad. So just to be clear, As I read this, I'm talking to myself. I wasn't thinking of you when I wrote this. I was thinking of myself. Are you clear on that? Okay, here we go. From David's journal. I've got it on the screen. We live in a complaining society. And what's really puzzling is the chronic complainers of the world do not seem to be concerned with how frivolous and silly their issues are. Listen to this. Maybe you identify. I'm sure none of you do. It's just me. Traffic jams bring incredible hostility, anger, and complaint. Slow drivers in front of you. Freeway cutters who cut in front of you. Talkative people irritate you. Long lines, short lines, any lines. Having one person in front of you makes you complain. Talking to myself. 
You want it your way and now. Crying babies, phone calls at inappropriate times, misplaced keys, dogs that pee on the carpet. I mean, we really get distressed by the biggies, don't we? Stuck zippers, especially if you're already running late. Cold food, you not only want it, you want it the temperature you want it. Somebody interrupting your conversation, noisy neighbors having to wait for your wife, late airplanes, tight clothes, peeling onions, squeaking doors, incompetent people around you, pants that seem to be getting tighter every time you put them on. (laughs) I bought shrinking pants. (laughs) Flat tires when you're in a hurry, doing the dishes, weeds, high prices, your in-laws. Okay, let me just say, I put that in there for your sake. I would never complain about my in-laws. Eleven years, I have never said one disparaging comment. Next, we need to do a series on lying. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're in uh, Hiroshima and it's 1945, you have a problem worthy of considerable concern. But just because the guy in the Ford F-150 cut you off and gave you the finger, just because your child announced last week that she hates her room does not disqualify you, does not qualify you for chronic complaining. Again, I'm talking to myself here. We all hear about the midlife crisis. Did you know that there are nations in the world that don't ever have midlife crisis because they don't live that long? Some people aren't bothered by such things at all. There are parts of the world where the average lifespan is 37 years and men and women are spared the distressing reality of a 40th birthday, which is me in two years. Some people complain about grocery bills. More than 20,000 people die of starvation every day and we complain about grocery bills? Some people complain about the high cost of rent. Perhaps we envy the pavement dweller in Calcutta. They don't pay rent. They're born, live, and die on the pavement. The only thing they have to worry about is finding a rag they can put their head on when they go to sleep. You see, while these kind of horrors go on around the world, we throw tantrums because we got seated at a poorly located table in a fancy restaurant. Or we're frustrated because we can't lose 10 pounds. Or we gripe about our monthly debts. Or because someone said something mean on the internet. That one's specifically for me. You've got pro- This is my favorite line of the whole thing. You've got problems relative to what? But you see, it's the mood of the mob to complain. And our modern culture, obsessed with idealistic, fantasy-oriented consumption, feeds the sin of discontent. Whew! Okay, okay. So, to summarize, and listen, I am not in this series trying to complain about the complainers. People are like, I would like to complain about that sermon. That joke has been made so many times. I'm not trying to complain about the complainers. What I'm trying to do is use my... Uh, God-given position as a pastor in this church to help you and to teach you how to live a life that is a, that's a more God-honoring way of living. That's what we're trying to do. And as I've uh, said every week, you can write this down, the solution or the antidote for gratitude is complaining. Or, oh my gosh, the antidote for complaining. That's also true. That's interesting. The antidote for complaining, sorry, is gratitude. So, again, I'm still not over my list. Okay. 
The antidote for complaining is gratitude. Uh, Luke chapter 17, if you're um, reading along with us, it's just a, a brief story, but in Luke 17, we read about one man who practiced gratitude and nine who do not, beginning in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So we know that this is during Jesus's traveling ministry. Verse 12, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. Okay, so if you don't know, leprosy is a horrible disease. It's one of the, one of the most painful diseases that you could get. And you would get these huge sores that would bubble up and pop and get all over everything. And also, when you had leprosy, you would, you would begin to lose feeling in your fingers and your toes. So you would wake up to find that a rat had eaten your pinky off. And also, to make matters worse, socially, you are an outcast as well. Like if someone, it's very contagious. So if someone were to come close to you, you would have to yell, anybody know? unclean. You'd have to yell, unclean. Keep away from me. And just, just imagine how that would affect the way that you see yourself, right? For, to have no one ever get near you, to never have anyone touch you. In fact, because these people were social outcasts, they would form their little communities themselves, essentially leper colonies, and they would live just within their tiny little community and have no contact with anybody else. Uh, and they were not allowed to go worship in the temple because a lot of people thought that the fact that they had leprosy meant that God was judging them. So it's unsurprising that they would stay at a distance. They stood at a distance and they, verse 13, they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. It's an interesting word there. Don't you think pity? Have pity on us? It's a, a weird, a lot of translations might say mercy. It's a word that... Uh, is usually translated mercy, but in this particular case, mercy and pity are both a little bit misleading. The word that's translated mercy or pity uh, usually means a couple of things in the New Testament. One would, of course, just be kindness and goodwill, a merciful person, kindness, right? But the other definition of mercy or the other meaning of mercy is to care for the physical needs of other people. So for example, you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Remember the, the guy who comes and he bundles the guy up and he bandages his wounds and he puts him on his animal and they go to the inn and he pays uh, the innkeeper to continue to watch for him. And all of that is summed up at the end of the parable as the one who did mercy. Not who had mercy, but he's the one who did mercy. And so when these people are talking to Jesus and they say, hey, have mercy on us, have pity on us, they're not just saying, hey, be nice to us, Jesus, or like feel bad for us. No, they're saying, Jesus, heal me care for my physical needs. That's what they're saying. And in verse 14, when he saw them, he said, this is Jesus, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So according to the law, if you had leprosy, you would have to go to a priest who would examine you to determine whether or not you were clean or unclean. So essentially what Jesus is saying is, hey, go have yourself checked by the priest. And as they were going, they were as they were on their way, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. See, this is the point of the story here, that 10 lepers were healed and only one came back to thank Jesus. Verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Whoa, twist ending. 
See, Luke has saved the fact that this was a Samaritan till the end of the story for dramatic effect because the Jews and the Samaritans absolutely despised each other. So the one who came back was a Samaritan. Verse 17, Jesus asks, and this is the question, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? See, this is where the story heats up because it points to a painful reality. And the painful reality is this. Most people who are healed or blessed by God will not come back and thank him for it. And that's still tr- that was true in Jesus' time, and that's still true today, especially in a culture like ours where people feel entitled to so much. Jesus continues, verse 18, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Wow, and then lastly, 19, then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So I have uh, for you, as we close this series, I've got, and I'd love for you to take notes, these are, these are four things that I have learned about gratitude. And if you're taking notes, you want to snap a picture or write these down. Number one is this. Here's something I've learned. Gratitude is never invisible or silent. Gratitude is never invisible or silent. You know, it's funny that people, people think that they're grateful, but they just feel like they just don't say it that much. You know, they'll come to me and they'll say something negative. They'll be complaining about something, but then, then they'll say, but you know my heart. You, you know my heart. To which I want to say, I, I inwardly say, no, I don't. I don't know your heart. What am I, a flipping cardiologist? I don't know your heart. How am I supposed to know your heart? The only thing that I know is what you say and what you do. And if you're grateful, you'll say it. Look, look, look at this uh, verse. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. As good, uh, a good man brings good things out of, the, out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Some of you are probably familiar with the traditional translation, which says what? From the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And that's always true. So if you ever are curious what's in your heart, how could we find that out, you think? By looking at your words. And and I want you to imagine, imagine that you're God, right? And you come down to your creation and you talk to someone and you ask them, how do you like all of this that I created for you? How How do you like it? And then what if the person said, well, God, it's hot as heck down here. You know, and I I don't know, why couldn't you just set it to be 70 degrees? And, you know, the seasons are changing all the time, so it's super hot. And then the next day, it's super freezing. Like, couldn't you just set the thermostat at 70 and left it? And there's all these people around, and they just bug me. And they're always in my way, and they always slow me down, and they're all incompetent and stupid, right? And why do I have to work for a living? Right, and pl- plus there's these tiny little red ants and they come and they bite me right on my butt and it drives me crazy. Why would you create these red ants to come and torment me? So now, if, if you were God, would you want to hang out with that person? If you were a human, would you want to hang out with that person? Right. Now, now, imagine, now imagine you're God and you go to someone and you say, hey, how do you like creation? How do you like all that I made for you? 
And then this person said, God, everything is so incredible. I, I can't believe it. I, I love all the seasons. I love the weather, how things change in autumn, how the leaves change color. And it's just so beautiful and so great to experience. We can have a winter Olympics and we can have a summer Olympics. And it's just so amazing. Plus, there's all these other people in the world that I get to interact with, and I get to grow from my interactions with them, and I get to enter into intimate, loving relationships with them. God, so amazing, and I love my job. God, thank you that you created us with the capacity to give back to, and to, to serve one another. Plus, plus there's these, these tiny little red ants. And my gosh, they're just so courageous and they're so brave. I'm like a million times their size and they'll come right up to me and bite me on the butt. You mean, isn't that wild? Like, they're just so amazing. So God, this whole world that you have given us is just such an incredible blessing. Thank you for everything that you've given us. Right, so now, if you're God, which of those two people do you want to hang out with? Some of, you, some of you, you come up to me, Marshall, Cindy, or my wife, hey, hey, Pastor Cindy, I don't feel God anymore. Well, maybe you don't feel God because you whine and complain too much to be aware of his presence. So if you're grateful, you'll say it. If you're grateful, you'll say, and let's say that. If you're grateful, sorry, let's say it together. If you're grateful, you'll say it. And not only will you say it, if you're grateful, you'll show it. That we're people who would be Christians and we come into this room and we claim to know the creator of the universe. You know what I mean? We, cl- we claim that he is our personal friend and, and that we get to meet with him and he, gets, and he showers us with blessings and grace and mercy and he invites us into his kingdom and he, he gives us eternal life. So now we don't have to just live to be 90 or 100 or whatever. We get to live forever in a place where there's no pain, no, no depression, no more grief, no more sorrow, just perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, not for a hundred years, not for a thousand years, but for all eternity, right? And then, and then we come in here and you look like you just sucked on like 10 lemons. And it, it just seems bizarre to me that, that to give you some sparkly shoes would elicit unbelievable praise and thanksgiving. But to announce that your eternal destiny is, is secured in Jesus Christ elicits almost nothing at all. If you're grateful, you'll say it. And if you're grateful, you'll show it. You guys are good. Thank you. Number two is this. Gratitude sustains joy and blessing. Gratitude sustains joy and blessing. What, what, is, what does that mean? Let me show you. I've got a, a, an illustration. Have you, guys, uh, have you guys seen this thing here? This is called a sustain pedal. Have you seen this? The keyboardist is constantly pushing that with uh, their foot. And I'd like to show you what it does. This may or may not be a bad idea. Okay, here we go. So... If I was to play a chord on the piano, let's say a C chord, like this, and then I take my hands away, 
oh, did you see what happened? As soon as I took my hands away, the music stopped. I'll do it again. Oh, right away. But now watch this. If I push this sustain pedal and then I play, let's do a G chord. Oh, hear what happens? See, my hands are off, but the note is sustaining because I've pushed the pedal. Have you guys ever, have you guys ever maybe been offended by someone or hurt by someone and you just keep replaying the situation over and over and over and over in your head? Well, you're sustaining that offense by the power of your thoughts. And you can do the same thing when it comes to blessing, right? That God can bless you with things that might seem in a lot of ways super ordinary, right? The laughter of a child or a kind word from a friend or some small blessing at work. And if you're ungrateful, you can experience that joy for like as long as the situation lasts. You can be grateful for five seconds. But see, grateful people, they can sustain the joy from every blessing. Um, I don't know if you guys know Miss Louise, uh, legendary here at the church. Uh, Love Miss Louise. And a while back, I asked her, if you don't know, I love Louise, but also my daughter Grace, she's two. She loves Miss Louise. So a while back, I went and I asked Miss Louise, hey, how how was your weekend? And she said, oh, gosh, it was so great. Your little girl came up to me and said, I wub you, Miss Louise. And she said, I have just been so happy all weekend. And I was thinking, wow. Like my, my daughter tells me I wub you 12 times a day, and it keeps me happy for exactly 1.5 seconds. <laughs> but, but, see, but do you see what she did there? See, she, she had a blessing, a small blessing, and because of her gratitude, she was able to sustain the joy of that blessing into every season. See, and that's, I would say this, I think that's absolutely key for living a life of joy, is to, is to be able to squeeze out as much joy and, and, and happiness that you can from even ordinary situations. See, so many people buy into the lie which is if I just get one more thing, then I'll be happy. It's the biggest lie on the planet. I want you to to think about um, 2014, here in the U.S., we lost a national treasure, and his name was Robin Williams. Uh, How many of you, by show of hands, how many of you loved Robin Williams? And for the rest of, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'll just assume you're sleeping because everybody loves Robin Williams. Uh, it's interesting. You, you go and ask that question in any major city in the entire world. How many people, no, you know, not, not, don't raise your hand if you like Robin Williams. Raise your hand if you love Robin Williams. 98% of people around the world will raise their hand. Now, now think about that. Robin Williams, was he a master of success? You bet. My gosh, everyone went to to go, everyone who goes to Hollywood sets out to make it big, right? And he did it. And he said, I want my own TV show. And he did it. And he said, I want my TV show to be number one. And he did it. Some of us are ancient enough to remember Mork and Mindy. Oh, good. 
And he said, but that's not enough. I want the most beautiful family in the world. And he did it. And he said, you know, that, even that's not enough. I need to be, I want to be a movie star. And he did it. And he said, I want to have more money, earn more money than anyone could spend in five lifetimes. And he did it. And he said, I want to win an Academy Award for not being funny. And he did it. Right? He, he wanted to make the whole world laugh, and he did it. He wanted to make the whole world love him, and he did it. And then in 2014, he took his own life, leaving, leaving hundreds of millions of people devastated. And who cares about us? You, you know, like he left his children. He left his wife scarred for life, and he was a good man. How do you explain that? Listen, I am not saying that Robin Williams was ungrateful. I don't know that. But I can tell you what it does tell me. It tells me that I can become rich and famous and super successful, and that doesn't mean that I will necessarily be happy. Right? That, will, that tells you that. So I'll, I'll tell you, my plan, it, here's, my, here's my strategy for being happy. David Eifert 2020. It's this, I'm not trying to get more stuff I'm trying to become more grateful for what I already have. Because I believe that that actually goes somewhere. Think about, I normally have no idea what goes back, but I saw your guys' faces. (laughs) Think about this. Think about this. You live in a country where even if you're in poverty, you're in the top 1% of the world the top 1% of the world. People think, I'm part of the 99%. No, they're not. But half of the world lives on $2.50 a day, $900 a year, right? So most people in the world would consider their every prayer answered to switch places with you. And I reckon that if you can't be happy here, you're not gonna be happy anywhere. And what we've done, even as the 1% of the world, we've bought into the lie that what we need is one more thing, then we'll finally be happy. Biggest lie on the planet. It could be more of anything. Of course, it could be more money, but maybe once you get that job that you finally want, for you know, maybe once the church gets bigger, maybe once I get that special promotion, I can finally pay off the car, I can finally buy that vacation home, then I will be happy. That's not where happiness comes from. Happiness comes from you learning to sustain the joy for the things that you already have. So gratitude sustains joy and blessing. Number three is this. Gratitude begins where my sense of entitlement ends. Gratitude begins where my sense of entitlement ends. Um, some of you may know uh, Tony Robbins. I am a tremendous Tony Robbins fan. You may not be, which is totally okay. But uh, Tony Robbins, he travels all around the world and does talks. And he tells this story of this one time he was on a plane, an international flight. Some of you guys have experienced the international flight where you, where you fly for 14 hours over a gigantic ocean. And, you know, you have like no, you know, there's no internet. So it's, oh my gosh, imagine being off of Instagram and Facebook and email for 14 whole hours, God forbid. Well, he was on, he was on 
this flight, but it was a very special flight because right as they were beginning, they had a very special announcement. And it was the first time that they offered internet on the international flight. And Tony Robbins says, it was like God entered the plane. So people stood up and cheered and clapped, right, for the internet. It was like a, a miracle had taken place. And he says, 15 minutes after they announced that, what do you think happened? The internet breaks. For how long? 14 hours. Never works again. And he said, he said, man, people were banging their hands on their tables. This is bull, bleep, bleep, bleep. I don't have to put up with this. This is unacceptable. And his point is this, man, what 15 minutes ago was a miracle is already an expectation. What 15 minutes ago was a miracle has now already become something that you feel entitled to. But I'm telling you, if you replace your expectation with appreciation, your whole life will change in an instant. I remember the first time I got uh, a real job, um, they paid actual real money. I used to be a Subway sandwich artist. They paid me mostly in roast beef. (laughs) Take those sandwiches out of your paycheck. But the, the, the first time I got, a, I got a job that was making like real money and they told me, well, your salary is this, 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 and this, and this plus benefits. I'm like, benefit? What, what does that even mean? Ben- plus benefits. And they said, oh, well, you know, we pay your insurance and you get paid sick time and you get paid vacation time. And I was like, what? Wait. So I'm going to go on vacation, and you're going to be paying me just like I'm still working here. And they're like, yeah. I was like, wow, that is incredible. So I call my friends. You're never going to believe this. This job has benefits. I get to go on vacation, and they pay me. They pay me for it. And my friends basically say, yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty much how it works. That's pretty much every job. And I'm like, oh. And after a couple of phone calls, what before had been a miracle to me had already become something I was entitled to. Then I found myself saying things like, yeah, of course they give me paid vacation. They better give me paid vacation. Look at, look at what uh, the psalmist would write in Psalm 103, verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Listen to this. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. For example, well, next verse, three. Praise the Lord who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Forget not his benefits. Uh, From the book, excellent book called The Narcissism Epidemic, they say this, one of the best ways to combat entitlement is to be grateful for what you already have. Gratitude is the opposite of entitlement great sentence. You think about what you already have instead of what you deserve to have, but don't. And I think here's what, here's what you got to understand. This is all a gift. And I mean all of it. It's all a gift, 
right? The, the neurons that are firing in your brain right now that are enabling you to hear my voice and see my awkwardly large body, that's all a gift. <laughs> that was weird. It's all a gift. This morning, this morning you woke up and you breathed air. There was, there was other people who were hoping to wake up and didn't. Right? And then this morning you, you went up and you went into your kitchen and you had breakfast while other people around the world had nothing to eat and they're just hoping that tomorrow might be a better day. Right? As you were getting ready for church, you went and you put shoes on your feet. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's lots of other people that didn't have any shoes and they're walking barefoot right now. All of it is a beautiful gift. So gratitude begins where my sense of entitlement ends. Lastly, number four, if you're taking notes, is this. Grateful people can find a blessing, enlarge a blessing, or create a blessing in almost any situation. Grateful people can find a blessing, enlarge a blessing, or create a blessing in almost any situation. Can I tell you something that I've noticed? I've noticed that the opposite is also true. What might the opposite be? Well, the opposite would be something like this. Ungrateful people can find a problem, enlarge a problem, or create a problem in almost any situation. Anyone ever uh, met this person? Anyone ever been this person? Right? Like the other day I was talking to a guy and he got a promotion and a raise at his work. And I said, oh, cool, man, congratulations. And he said, hello, higher taxes. Uh, you know what I think about people like that? I call them crap factories. I, know. Like, I don't mean to be crass, but that is the perfect phrase, crap factories factories, that God can come and bring any blessing into your life, and it all, it's all crap on the other side by the time you're done with it, right? I can't be the only one that can identify with that. The other day, the other day my daughter was, you know, being two, so she was being a terror, and she was whining and kicking, and, you know, and I'm just like, ugh, it's just grating on my, and I, I was just, God, God, this is crazy. What, what am, what am I going to do? And God told me this. He says, you're complaining about something you prayed for. You know what I'm saying? That, that was the job you prayed for. That was the children that you prayed for. That was the marriage that you prayed for. God, forgive us for being complainers about every little thing. My God, it, it, it's, it's easy to be the one who sees what's wrong. What's wrong is always available. So is what's right. And you always have the ability to choose and to see. Uh, I heard this uh, story, a well-known pastor, he, he um, had a big Easter service and so they had 2,000 people, 2,000 people that got baptized, water baptized. And so they were praising God for it, writing stuff on social media. And another pastor, another well-known pastor, a pastor friend commented on the post about the 2,000 water baptisms and said this, your water bill must have been outrageous. 
You know, like, people can find a problem with anything. You mean, if, in fact, in fact that, that's my, I've just decided, that's my mission statement for 2020. David Eifert, not going to be a crap factory. That's it. I'm not. I am done with my supernaturally honed in ability to find the problem in every great thing that God gives me. I am done with that. Think about this as a pastor of the church. We have, you know, in the city of Albuquerque, probably 800 people uh, plus or minus that would call Believer Center their home, that would call us their pastors. So when they need a pastor, they would call us. So now think about this. With 800 people, what do you think the odds are that right now somebody is out there doing something idiotic and making a complete disaster of their life? What are the odds? I'll tell you, 100%. It's definitely happening. And so I'm, I'm going to finish with this sermon and I'm going to hop off the stage and I'm going to look at my phone and there's going to be like some Slack message or some, some text message or some email that announces that this guy or this girl is making a royal, complete disaster of their life, and they're hoping that I can do something to fix it. And, and within, within 15 seconds, you know, here I'm so grateful to God how good he's been, and then I read a text message or a slack, and it totally changes my demeanor and my outlook towards life. And it made me realize that, that my, my happiness is so cheap, you know, that, that so many people have access to whether or not I'm happy about the life that God has given me. It ought not to be that way. Like, I don't know when Donald Trump got access to my happiness, you know what I mean? Or whoever that is for you, whatever president, whatever candidate, like why do those people have access to, to change things on the inside of you? Our happiness is so um, fragile. So, I, so I'm done with that. I'm, I'm, I'm committing today and in this series and in this year, I will be someone who finds the good instead of the bad. And I won't, I won't lie to myself thinking that I'm just seeing the world accurately. What's wrong is always available, so is what's right. Look at this uh, scripture. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. No, not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. Listen to this. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So you might go to Pastor Cindy. Hey, Pastor Cindy, what's God's will for my life? Well, I can tell you one thing. It's God's will for your life that you give thanks in all circumstances. That's his will for your life. And so as we're closing this series, I was trying to think how I wanted to do it. And so uh, what I have devised is I am inviting everyone in the room to accept a seven-day challenge from me. I'm calling it the Philippians 4-8 challenge. It comes from this uh, scripture that most of you are familiar with. Philippians 4-8, Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
He's telling you everything you need to know right there. And so the Philippians 4.8 challenge that I have um, created for you, I'm going to read it. I've got it for you on the screen. And if you... Um, if you identify with it, if it resonates with you, what I'm going to ask is that after I read it once by myself, that we would all read it uh, together as our agreement to enter into the challenge. It's this. Philippians 4.8 challenge. For seven days, I'm going to deliberately walk around and see the blessings that are all around me. I'm not going to sweat the small stuff. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to complain about the same predictable things that won't matter in five hours. I'm going to stop obsessing about myself. I'm going to focus on what's beautiful and pure and praiseworthy and good. Thank you, Jesus, for the beautiful life you have given me. Seven whole days. So if you would agree to that and you resonate with that, I wonder if you'd be willing to read it out loud with me one more time. For seven days, I'm going to deliberately walk around and see the blessings that are all around me. I'm not going to sweat the small stuff. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to complain about the same predictable things that won't matter in five hours. I'm going to stop obsessing about myself. I'm going to focus on what's beautiful and pure and praiseworthy and good. Thank you, Jesus, for the beautiful life you have given me. If you are grateful to God, can you give him some praise? Amen.